we have a lot to talk about this week. There's been a lot of lots news. of stories for January. Yeah, yeah. December was busy. January is busy. Who would have thunk it? First up is a story we did not get to last week, which is Apple Books and uh, a new artificial intelligence way of producing audiobooks for books that would probably otherwise never have had audiobook versions of. What's that story, Mayo? Yeah, that's certainly the way that Apple is trying to present it. It's um, a new scheme that Apple has uh, announced towards the end of last year, and now the first uh, books are actually available to download from the Apple Bookstore that are, as you say, narrated by, by AI rather than humans. So this applies to audiobook production. Um, Apple Books is basically trying to get more audiobooks on their platform, and for especially for smaller writers and independents, the cost of getting a human-made audiobook recording you know, produced, edited, compiled together is quite uh, expensive. It can be upwards of $5,000 for an average novel. Um, and most independent writers can't afford that. So a lot of books on the store just go without audiobook versions. Uh, but with this push to get more audiobooks on platform, one way they found that they can increase the quantity is by relying on artificial intelligence to basically synthesize the audio for them. And there's um, a few little interesting details here. So uh, the... The relationship has nothing to do with Apple, really. Like, it's not a thing where, like, Apple's handling the production stuff or Apple is um, dictating rules and terms. They're quite open and free. They're like, you, you, they're not, they're not um, converting all the books to audiobooks on your behalf or anything. It's basically just like, here's an option. You can use these partners where you can make a sanctioned AI narrated version and it'll appear on the Apple Bookstore. You're still, you still you get the same rights to ownership as you would if you had a normal audiobook and you can still make other audiobook versions for other platforms if you want to or if you go and make a human recorded version on their own, you can replace the AI version. Like maybe you just get the AI version out to make some money and then you can use the profits from that to make a human recorded version. So they're very open and free about it. They're just like, look, here's an option. You don't have to use it. But if you want to use it, here you go with basically no strings attached. Um, interestingly they've got like they've, they're kind of targeting genres so you, you you can't at least in the early stages of this rollout you can't just go and have any single book um, that's ever existed converted to an AI version they seem to be making like AI voices specific to each genre so they have like Madison and Jackson who specialize in like fiction and romance novels and then the other two samples they have on this page are for Helena and Mitchell, who cover like, you know, nonfiction and self-development kind of categories. So they're trying to, I think they're like working with um, respected voice actors in these communities. They're like paying them to basically license their voices, which then run through AI models to produce the synthesized voices that can then convert whole books. And, you know, at least in theory, you can have an AI um convert you know thousands of words in like a minute or so it doesn't take very long um for it to for it to run the run the software but apple says that if you do make an io version it can take up to a month for it to actually be ready to go so i think what's happening at least in these early stages is there as like humans involved somewhere either apple or apple contract partners are like verifying that the ai did a good job of the audio conversion and if there's like problems in the pronunciation somewhere maybe the humans going and like manually annotate it to get the ai to produce to pronounce it better um possibly in the future future they won't need to do those qualification steps anymore but at least initially uh, you submit your book to the service it takes about a month for you to get a final conversion back there's a chance that the book will not be supported for whatever reason maybe they can't handle that book where it's a, a really obscure um subject matter or something so it just get rejected 
Uh, but assuming there's no technical issues, it will get approved. It appears on the Apple Bookstore. You can provide the you know description summary. Apple adds a little banner that for each of the books that are narrated by, by AI, just to say like this is narrated by an AI, and you click on it, it tells you what voice it is, and it gives you a little explanation. So it's very upfront about it. Um, and then you choose the price, and then it's on sale. So I there's obviously the ongoing fears that you know AI is going to replace humanity, and then there's going to steal our jobs, but I think that that's going that's kind of a never inevitability in a way. So like, there's not much point trying to make a stand and not offering these features. You might as well have these features available as an option because if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And at least in this way, it can be a bit more controlled, and you can have the little annotations in the bookstore. Um, and maybe some more advanced integrations down the road. And I believe Google Play Store, their bookstore, also has a, a, a an, uh, an AI version, at least in beta or something. I'm not 100% sure on the details there, but it's not like Apple's the only one doing this. Um, this is a thing. Apple's joined the fray, which is interesting because whenever they join the fray on like a, a very AI subject, you, you always have to like do a bit of a double take because it's not quite their like standard forte. Kind of similar to when they um, backed... Uh, the stable diffusion image generation stuff that we talked about a few weeks ago, that was mm-hmm. notable for that reason too. Uh, and obviously Apple Books isn't the most important thing in the world. So you're always wondering, what are they exactly, what string are they pulling here? But mm-hmm. this is just another little feature which represents a fair amount of technical investment and development to give something out there f- which is mostly targeted at like smaller publishers who wouldn't, always, wouldn't otherwise be able to afford a human to read the book. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Apple Books model for even for audiobooks is still that they're just paid up front. You can get a small sample usually, but um, no subscription there it would, would make a great service, would, would fit naturally into Apple's big services drive. Maybe one day, maybe this is part of that in the long run. Um, but for now, just something that the authors opt into. Um, so eh, my, my favorite audiobooks are read by the author. I don't care how um, excruciating it is to listen to the author, mm. having it in their own voice and not a voice actor even you if the, the voice actor yeah even if the voice actor is amazing i i really prefer the author and to me it's like a treat to you know i'll pay the premium price for the audiobook version compared to the the physical or um or ebook version just to hear the author read the book um i think it's i think it's awesome ai, AI stuff is i think is uh you know, if, if it makes more audiobooks available that otherwise wouldn't have been available, then that, that's wonderful. Uh, and, and like you mentioned, if it's able to kickstart um, sales of a book, then you can then after the fact, you can you can hire someone freshly to do it. And that's even better. So, nice. yeah. And these Apple voices, they sound pretty good for AI voices. I'm, I'm sure if you like try because there's a difference when listening to the 10 second samples on the website versus mm-hmm. listening to like you know a 30 hour novel being read out right. and maybe at some point the weaknesses in the ai conversion um, become more natural become more noticeable to, to a brain or something but for based on the samples alone uh, you could happily listen to them but it's not you're not getting the personality and the kind of vitality you get out of like proper voice actors especially when the authors read themselves so mm-hmm. it's certainly not going to replace actual voice actors anytime soon but it is getting you know, scarily close to a decent substitute. And it sounds, you know, the 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 the, the synthesized voices they're using here obviously sound even better than like the synthesized voice for Siri on the iPhone because it's not having to do the audio production in literally real time. You know, mm-hmm. it can take a few minutes, it can process it a bit more, it can 
feed in a lot more data uh, compared to something like Siri, which has to like run on a watch, for instance, and have a response um, spoken immediately. So there, you know, it's a higher fidelity of voice, and it'll only keep getting better. We've seen the image generation AIs get better and better over the course of the last year. Right? There's so much development going on in that space, and it's almost like exponential growth at the moment. So the the AI audiobook stuff will continue to get better and better. And I don't think there's too much negativity around it. It's just a kind of a weird thing for Apple to like jump in head first in the in a traditional you know typical sense this is the kind of thing you feel like apple would like sit on the sidelines and do as like the be the last person standing before they finally adopt something like this but i think we've seen you know with the image generation stuff with this with a few other little things that the company's trying to be a bit more um at the cutting edge of this kind of ai stuff even if it hasn't like it's, it's still dipping its toes in in the edges more than it like it hasn't like shipped it in a major product apple books isn't you know like a critical service um to them yet at least uh but i think it's good that they're not blind to the th- to blind to this stuff and they're trying to embrace it in ways that make sense mm-hmm. yeah uh and then we'll recap for a moment some stuff from the consumer electronics show from last week this is i think the two standout things for me probably us together is that there's now actually competitors to both the apple studio display and the apple um pro xdr um, mm-hmm. display so in, in in that meaning that there is now uh, or there will be a 5k 27 inch monitor and a 6k 32 inch monitor to match those two specs alone of apple's monitors before those were either impossible to come by or hard to come by um what are these displays are they yeah <laughs> the, the 5k one is from samsung mm. um and it looks like the pa- based on the tech specs the panel might be identical to the one that you get in the studio display uh 27 inches that 5k resolution seems to be same pp same ppi same um picture depth 10 bit color etc etc um same like no uh Elite mini LED backlighting or zoning, just a, a straight LCD panel. 600 nits uh, of brightness. Uh. Yeah, 600 nits of brightness. Uh, it's called the Viewfinity S9. It doesn't look a million miles away from your studio display and just in aesthetics. The bezels are, they've gone for the like three-sided bezels are thin and then you have a thicker bezel on the bottom, whereas the studio display is more just like that thicker bezel all the way around. Yeah. Uh, and it, ha- it comes with a 4K webcam that kind of sticks out the top. So it's not, it's maybe not quite as elegant as design studio display, but uh, maybe technically superior as far as the webcam quality is concerned and i think the general panel is identical pricing is unknown of course uh, yes because that's that's probably my main criticism of the studio display is just the pricing's too high on it like it needs to i feel like it needs to be a bit cheaper yeah. and maybe the viewfinity s9 will be cheaper like it could it could be 999 right which is still expensive for a, um, a display this caliber when you can get like 4k panels for like half the price uh, but remember it's a niche 5k is not super popular and stuff so mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, maybe it's more reasonable than like around a thousand than the sixteen ninety nine price that Apple charges. Plus, you have to then buy the standards, you know, the 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 better stand with the high adjustment and stuff like that if you want to. So yeah, Samsung's comes out of the box with a single stand that can rotate left and right, so you can go between landscape and portrait if you want to believe. <laughs> Incredible revolution right there. Yeah. And the the Dell monitor is the competitor to the Pro Display XDR. It's a it's going to be a thirty two inch six K Thunderbolt four K uh, Thunderbolt four monitor 
uh, complete with 140 watt charging, 4K webcam, etc. That's better than the Pro Display XDR in some respects because you get like the 140 watt charging. Uh, I'm not sure how the panel quality lines up, other outside of resolution. It sounds like it's going to be roughly similar, although the studio, the, the ProDespec CR does have about 500 backlighting zones. Unclear what the Dell option will have. Um, but again, it comes with it, it comes with a webcam in a very visible sense because mm-hmm. the ProDespec CR comes with no webcam at all. This comes with a massive hole at the top where there's a big sticking out circle for a webcam. So again, not as pretty visually as uh, in terms of like chassis aesthetics to the ProDespec DR, but again, probably be significantly cheaper than what the ProDespec XDR costs. Um, but it's a, it's an option if people want it. It's another 6K option on the market. Um, I'm kind of waiting in terms of display situation on like the next generation of Apple displays because they, mm-hmm. they you know they're rumored to be in development. We might see the uh, Pro Display XDR two sometime this year, so I'm, I'm excited to see what Apple can contribute to the arena because I feel like a combination of the studio display and the Pro Display XDR in features and price, like bringing it bring them both down a bit, you know, uh, would be really attractive. And they're just slightly too expensive for what you get right now. Yeah. Um, and if there's come more competition, that helps put a little pressure on Apple at least to adjust their you know pricing structures and and a product lineup. Yeah, because the market right now for for these displays before these two competitors come to market is that you shop from a variety of displays that are 4K. Um, or <laughs> I got I, I accidentally walked into the trap of um, a 1080p display, or maybe even a QHD display, but I thought I was buying a, a decent size, but that was like one of the bigger ultra wide kind of things. And it was just horrible quality. And I ended up returning it and I was like going down a journey of like, well, let me, let me find something that I think is, is decent to look at. Um, and I ended up right back at the studio display. So I think this is like, if you're looking for the 5k specs, then this is the only way to go right now until Samsung's coming to market. Samsung's also has the ability to, um, it's like a smart TV. So outside of having a computer attached to it, it, it can do things like play video and um, run run basically like smart TV apps. So um, it's almost like, like the studio space has an A13 chip in it that could do those same capabilities, but they just didn't do any of it. Yeah, that's that's like the um, the the thing about Apple Silicon as a brand is that Apple Silicon, you know, it's always been in well for, for the longest time it's been in the iPhones, always been in the iPads, um, and then. On the Mac, it's like a great thing to have, but then to say that the Pro Display or that the Studio Display has Apple Silicon inside is like meaningless to negligent, like, like even worse. So yeah, um, like if you didn't know it, like if they didn't say it, you'd have no reason to think that it had such a powerful chip inside of it because it's sure. not used for anything other than just like managing the webcam, right? Yeah, uh, it's yeah. kind of like the, they call it Apple Silicon because of like the branding attachment, mm-hmm. um, but it's more closer to like when they used to have the like the T1 chip in the older MacBook Pros, right, and it's yeah. like yeah, that was was an a10 chip behind the scenes but it provided you know um live encryption live disk encryption some other benefits controlled the image controlled the image um uh, sensor and stuff like that uh, but back then there wasn't the cachet around calling it apple silicon whereas now they're like it's apple silicon in your screen yeah. but they don't actually give you any like customer facing user features to take advantage uh, of it really. the difference there i guess would be that samsung would build in wi-fi connectivity whereas yeah. apple doesn't do that they, they just say it's a computer monitor and it pulls all those things from the computer part of it except for the webcam part um so yeah the the the, the dell one as well i Dell used to make a 5K thing too, so I wonder, and that that didn't get a lot of traction. 
I think it was pricey. It wasn't very attractive. So the 6K went another, another going that, that way, um, you know, again, pricing and availability to be determined, but, um, better than, than not to have some competing options in the market that can maybe help Apple drive the, <laughs> want to drive their costs down. Yeah. And then the other thing at CS was just more like, announcements that matter stuff is coming from i didn't even bother like um putting some specific examples because literally every company on earth was like we have a matter refrigerator we have a matter light bulb we have a matter switch you know mm-hmm. uh, we'll have a matter thing coming in the second quarter of the year and maybe we'll su- we'll support uh our matter um internet connected camera when the standard updates in seven or eight months so it's coming it's coming it's just a it's still you know in the near in the medium future i'd say for most of these places for stuff like getting matter support on things that don't already support home care i'd say is still in the kind of you know three to six month kind of time frame yeah, the, the, there's some things in the smart home category where i think looking for a statement on matter uh is important like if you hear that the nest thermostats will support matter or you know, think things that that are like that, but for the most part, if if it works with HomeKit and they're saying they're going to support Matter, you know, just wait and see. Because uh, smart home stuff is notorious for um, anticipating support for something that that doesn't get delivered or gets delivered. I mean, th- how many companies have promised HomeKit support and then not not delivered on it? Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah. but uh, it'll come. It's just a very slow, gradual process that. Again, if you already have accessories that support HomeKit, you won't see much benefit. We're just waiting for stuff that never supported HomeKit before, now getting mad stuff. So it's like, wow, this is actually useful for Mm -hmm. an Apple user. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. As a small business owner or a hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on having the right people the right team members to surround yourself with. And that's why you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn is just so ubiquitous. My brother started his first job out of uni recently, and I know that LinkedIn was one of the places he went through, for instance. So to reach an audience of the world's largest professional network, go on LinkedIn Jobs at linkedin.com slash happy hour and create a free job post in just minutes. LinkedIn Jobs targeting tools help you quickly attract people that you actually want to hire. They go beyond uh, resume data by using insights from your job post, company details, and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications, all on one unified platform. For instance, when you make the job post, you can add screening questions to filter and focus on the candidates who apply. Achieve your goals in 2023 by finding the right person to grow your business. If you're able to hone in on the right candidate first time, it means reducing employee churn, startup costs, and concentrating on growth in 2023. The job market is still all over the place at the moment, so use LinkedIn Jobs to hunt down the perfect match for your business. In fact, small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one job site in delivering quality hires compared to the leading competition. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified applicants that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash happy hour. That's linkedin.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the show. I mentioned that it's a busy week. It comes because of Mark Herman of Bloomberg and his reports on what's to come for the rest of the year. Uh, basically, the entire Apple roadmap for this year and, and what to expect and what not to expect. Um, so where does that leave us? What, what, what are we looking at here, man? 
Yeah, so this is mostly out of um, Mark's Peron newsletter that he posted at the weekend. He, he basically covered like high-level details about you know every major Apple product. So on the Mac Pro, which is one of the most anticipated announcements just to fulfill Apple's um, promise that they would complete the Apple Silicon transition, uh, which obviously they originally promised to finish at the end of 2022, and that hasn't happened. So in terms of um, Apple Silicon Macs that we expect to arrive just based on what apple's already told us we need a replacement for the mac mini and we need a replacement the, the higher end intel mac minis and a replacement for the mac pro which is currently only available with intel xeon and for a while it sounded like the in the apple silicon mac pro would have you know a 2x uh, m2 ultra trip with a lot of performance and maybe coming a chassis design that's smaller and more compact because of the thermal improvements of apple silicon uh, we already talked about in, I think, last week's show or the week before show that Mark was saying that the M2 Extreme quote-unquote chip had already been cancelled and they were just going to ship it with an M2 Ultra. And even to to put even more um, boring stuff onto the mix, <laughs> German this week said that the new Mac Pro with Apple Silicon will actually look identical to the Intel Mac Pro. So the same cheese grater chassis design, not smaller at all, identical in, in design. Uh, and the RAM won't be upgradable. So you'll only be able to get the amount of RAM that you buy when you buy the machine in terms of unified memory. Um, and also that will mean that the maximum RAM you can get is limited by the what's available on the M2 Ultra, which I think is 76 gigabytes. It's somewhere around that amount, um, which obviously powers in comparison to the theoretical maximum of one and a half terabytes of RAM that you can get on the Intel Mac Pro. Um, so but it doesn't seem like Apple is going to have a good answer for people that want that i know um some video producers like um mkbhd and stuff they have a mac pro spec with like 700 gigs of ram um i don't know i don't personally know of anybody with a one and a half terabyte of, of ram config on their mac pro but it's theoretically possible and that will be something that won't be available on the new mac pro um assuming german is correct however storage and gpus will be able to be upgraded so that was really the biggest one that um you know, as a as a pundit was most interesting was the graphics situation because the Apple Silicon M2 Ultra, if you kind of estimate out the specs, CPU is pretty good and can, you know, match up with the Xeons. But the GPU side would still be a lot weaker than even the GPU you can get in the current Mac Pro today. Um, and theoretically, you can have four GPUs running in Intel Mac Pro. So what was going to be the GPU story for the Apple Silicon situation? When they were doing the M2 Extreme thing, maybe they could have just gotten away with the having all the GPUs on the die because there'd just be more of them. But because they're not doing that, uh, the need for like external GPU options is more important. And it sounds like that's what there's going to be uh, available. So maybe you won't be able to have four GPUs. Maybe only get like one or two um, to tie up with the Apple Silicon uh, chip itself. So the Silicon... The M2 Ultra will have a GPU on it, but if you want to, you can have external GPUs that you just plug into the, you know, the MPX module slots, and it presumably just diverts all graphics responsibilities to the external GPUs. Uh, we have to, obviously, this is the f first and probably only Apple Silicon machine that supports this kind of expandability with external graphics cards. So we'll have to wait to see exactly how the technical details work there. But I'm expecting that basically, if you're using external GPUs. That's it. You just have the external GPUs. The internal GPU to the to the actual that's on the silicon just won't do anything. Mm. Um, but that's there for the people that really need high high bandwidth, high throughput video work. So you can have the GPU there as an option. And storage will be nice because that can just be like additional SSD storage or you know hard drives or whatever that you want to sling inside the machine for extra capacity. Um, so the Mac Pro, 
getting more and more boring as every week goes by based on the <laughs> on the calibration of the rumors to the reality i was never in the market for one but i was kind of looking forward to seeing something like really cool um and like impressive and kind of like apple's trophy computer and just how far they can push mm-hmm. it but it sounds like it's just gonna be more down to earth and kind of boring like take a mac studio and add external graphic support you know in the same case that we already know so mm-hmm. that's the mac pro situation and the kind of general tone of boringness is kind of how German portrayed the entire of the 23th of roadmap. He says, don't expect anything crazy for any of the product lines, really, um, as focus mostly turns this year inside of Apple on the headset project. So German talked about how um, engineering resources are being diverted from other projects to get the headset over the line, both in terms of hardware and software. Maybe don't expect as many new features in iOS 17, for instance, because a lot of the software developments currently being plowed into uh, XROS for the headset to come out. Uh, and then on hardware, Apple Watch, minor, maybe minor performance improvements, nothing major. Um, AirPods, don't expect anything new this year, really. Uh, and Quo followed up by saying that new AirPods are not due until late 2024. Uh, including a $99 model like we talked about last week with the AirPods Lite from Jeff Poo. Um, MacBook Pro situation, you'll get an M2 MacBook Pro update at some point this year, but don't expect anything crazy in terms of redesigning anything. Mac Mini, there'll be the M2 update, which will usurp the Intel Mac Pros finally with an M2 Pro option, uh, but otherwise nothing crazy. Don't expect any iMac changes this year, according to German. iMac Pro still off the cards. You may get a 15-inch MacBook Air, 15-inch MacBook Air this year, but um, that's about it in terms of Mac design changes. Again, Apple Watch, kind of nothing, a nothing burger. AirPods, no, don't expect anything significant. HomePod, this is the shining light of the situation, at least for me and you. Uh-huh, yeah. The new big HomePod is apparently still on track. It hasn't been delayed. Uh, it will look mostly like the OG HomePod from 2018, Good. but it will be made so it can be cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. No, no problem with the way it looked. <laughs> yeah, no problem with the way it looked. I think it's a really cool design. It's like symmetrical speaker all the way around. Mm-hmm. As long as the sound quality is close to the original, I'll be happy with that. And if they can bring the price down, it means I'll be able to recommend it to other people to buy as well, which is great. There might be some improvements to the touch sensor on the top, so I think they're going to make it probably more similar to how the HomePod Mini works in terms of it's like quote-unquote touchscreen on the surface. Maybe there'll be some additional gestures you can do. We'll have to wait and see. Again, we kind of hinted at that with providing specifics. It will come with the S8 chip, which probably means it will support, you know, thread and everything else. Basically, mm-hmm. imagine a HomePod Mini um, internals, but blown up to a bigger speaker with obviously more speakers inside. Um, so I'm happy for that. Like the OG HomePod definitely needs to return. Doesn't seem like the rumored FaceTime HomePod <laughs> soundbar thing is scheduled for this year. The, okay. the, the government didn't mention that. Um, and then yeah that basically means that outside of the HomePod situation outside of the quote new Mac Pro relatively a chill year for Apple's hardware the iPhone's going to get some you know the iPhone 15 updates should be somewhat interesting at least more significant than everything else we just talked about but the biggest news for the year German was posing is going to be the Apple headset which he thinks will likely now be named the Apple Reality Pro which is a good sign for the fact that I keep saying you know it's going to be a high-end option it's going to be you know mm-hmm. positioned similar to a Pro Display XDR if you've got Apple Reality Pro in the name I feel that's kind of heading in that direction um so and that should be announced in the spring uh before WWC according to German uh, at WWC Apple will tell developers obviously how to make apps for the thing and then you can expect a release of the headset in the fall can we 
Well, that's what German told. That's what German said. Okay, okay. Uh, you um, can trust him or not, but that's what he's. That's what he laid out in terms of the roadmap. Yeah, just German. The 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 macro situation. Uh, do you suppose they'll keep around the Intel one for the RAM capacity option? In the well, way that they keep around the Mac Mini. <laughs> maybe, the- maybe for a bit. Maybe like. Yeah. Until it's they unclear because then, like, if you're going based off of the unified memory architecture yeah. of current Apple Silicon, uh, you're never going to get to one and a half terabytes. Like, uh, it's not like, oh, we'll just wait till the M3 generation, then we can remove the old Mac Pro. I think the num- the percentage of people that buy Mac Pros with RAM spec that high is very, very low. Mm-hmm. So maybe they could just drop it and just not care about it anymore. But it does. It is kind of weird to me that like Apple came out all guns blazing in 2019 yeah. with this Intel Mac Pro where they like specifically designed it so that you could expand every single part of it and they made it so big so you could shove one and a half terabytes of RAM in it. You could have four GPUs. You could have, you know, whiz-bang bits left, right and center if you wanted to. That was like the whole pitch for it. Mm-hmm. Um, while at the same time, obviously, internally, they were developing the Apple Silicon roadmap, which they presumably knew at that time would not be able to go up to those specs because it's just miles away. Like, yeah. the, the, the 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 Mac Studio is going to, like, 70 gigs of RAM. If they did do the Extreme chip, that would have gone to, like, 150. But that's still 10 times less than the <laughs> 1.5 terabytes capacity that the Intel Mac Pro can theoretically have in it. So yeah. it's a bit, a bit of a weird, like, contrast. But the Mac Pro is, like, a super niche product. And I think most people that are buying the Mac Pro are just like video people and they can probably get away with unified memory and they just shove some GPUs in there. I think that was the most important thing people needed to hear was would you be able to upgrade the GPU? Because that's really where the the performance difference is required. So it's it's maybe like when Apple got out of the XServe business and they that 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 high end Mac Pro thing that you know that was very specialized in what it was used for maybe they just we're not we don't participate in that anymore um a question i have is does it is, is this an upgraded mac pro or is this a a mac pro that moves to apple silicon uh because this is the apple silicon version and then like feature versions will be upgraded from that i mean we know the differences between intel and apple silicon performance in general like the the floor for how bad performance can be is is higher. Um, battery life is amazing, which is not a factor on on a Mac Pro. So so is this just checking the box and starting the process, or is this actually an upgrade? Like if you've got an Intel, let's say you've got like the standard base model Mac Pro or mm-hmm. slightly upgraded, would you look at this one? You know, if if that's your market, and it'd say, be faster on CPU for sure. Yeah, but but mm-hmm. so is the Mac Studio. Yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like that's yeah. why it might not matter because <laughs> yeah. the the CPU is faster, but you can get basically the same CPU in the much more form factor of the Mac Studio if you want it. So yeah, you know, because that's the, just the like the the like you the Apple Silicon laptops outstrip the base model Mac Pros in most cases yeah. in CPU and even yeah. higher. You know, you go the the to match a twenty eight core Xeon, you do need the Mac Studio with an Ultra in it, I think. But then mm. it's like twice as fast as that in terms of CPU performance, or close to you know fifty percent faster or something. So it'll be faster on CPU, on GPU. I mean, it'll be better than the current base model Intel Mac Pro, but that's not saying much because the GPUs included at stock were pretty rubbish, but you could upgrade to much more powerful GPUs. Yeah. Um, so in that case, you wouldn't be able to go just solely on what the Apple Silicon chip is, i.e. the M2 Ultra. You would need to equip it with external GPUs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe Apple will sell some options or something. Yeah, so so not not as clear as an upgrade as 2013 to 2019, but yeah, and if they had if they had persevered with the M2 Extreme thing, then I feel like the Mac Pro would have had more of a statement because it comes out it's like this is the best fastest thing we could we're pushing the Apple Silicon to the very edge, you know, double every spec of an M2 Ultra. 
but they've kind of given up on that probably for practical reasons as in not many people are going to buy it anyway so why are we bothering to dedicate all the resources to try and make it work and it's supposedly tsmc can then use all that silicon wafer to actually make chips for the products that are way more popular so yeah it's a practical choice but it's definitely not as um it doesn't have the same theater you know it's not it's not as fun story for another day as they say (laughs) yeah And then also in that story, he talked a bit about, uh, German talked a bit about the um, augmented reality features coming to the Apple Store app soon, supposedly. So this is kind of maybe a precursor to the kind of experiences you can expect to do in the headset land. Uh, using the Apple Store app on the iPhone, if you go into a physical Apple Store when this feature is available, you'll be able to hold up your iPhone to a product in the Apple retail store and then additional information, demos, tech specs, schematics will like emerge on the ar view neck pointing to the product uh, to give you contextual information so that's supposedly something that apple's been testing uh, since 2020 and they're getting close to rolling it out and you can imagine obviously it'll first come out for the iphone but that could be something that could also apply to you know a headset form factor when when that's ready like it's cool idea <laughs> but you could also just look at the apple strap on your phone and read the details like or, or look at the part I, I thought we were going to roll to the ad after that and so i was just going to withhold any, any commentary but uh you could look at the product that has the information about it on the screen yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like some augmented reality things make more sense than others. i yes. think a lot of like if you had lightweight glasses on your face for instance then having contextual information just pop out on in front of you is like somewhat useful because of the convenience factor but you're not going to bother to whip out your crazy big $3,000 headset and put them and strap that onto your face just to find out some information about an Apple product yeah, or any product in any shop. Know. You're just going to look it up on your Safari on your phone if you have to, right? Um, and that applies to so if you're going to look at it through the phone of the iPhone camera. Uh, so that's kind of in the realm of more like, I feel like tech demo-y kind of than, or gimmicky rather than like truly practical. But apparently they're working on it. <laughs> Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by Ladder. If you're anything like me, you have a certain tendency to put things off that you really should do right now, but you put them off until the very last minute. Things like dentists, optician appointments, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's usually fine, but you shouldn't mess around and wait when it comes to life insurance. Get term coverage life insurance through Ladder today. I've started needing glasses recently, and that was kind of a thing that just made me hit like, oh damn, I am actually getting older and stuff like life insurance somehow feels immediately more relevant. Life insurance gives you peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens. And Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. That means no doctors, no needles and no paperwork. It's all done online. You just need a phone or laptop to apply. You can fill out Ladder's application form and their smart algorithms will work in real time to tell you instantly if you're approved. Ladder has no hidden fees and you can cancel at any time. Get a full refund if you cancel within the first 30 days. And Ladder's policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying out on claims. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and Ladder even made Forbes best life insurance list of 2021. If you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure but you just want some more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And as the cost of life insurance goes up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour today and see if you're instantly approved. That's spelled L-A-D-D-E-R 
lifecom slash happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Ladder for sponsoring the show. All right, this is the week that Apple takes everything in-house. They want to control <laughs> all of their hardware and make it themselves. You know where they've got, Zach? they got a new architecture. <laughs> they do, and they've designed it on their own. Um, <laughs> a couple of things before we get to the German report, which is that um, I guess it was last week that uh, Ming-Chi Kuo sort of added to his report that the iPhone SE 4, Four which, yeah. which is imagined to look like the 10R or the 11, um, would no longer either ship next year or would be canceled altogether. And so that was his first report was canceled or delayed. So, so in 2024, canceled or delayed. Um, and then more recently, he put out a report saying that because it is canceled, which seems to just say, you know, at least it won't come next year in 2024. Um, then Qualcomm will remain the sole supplier of broadband chips for the iPhone. And, and that's to say that the SE4 was meant to be for Apple, the first phone that used their, um, an, an Apple made design. Modem, every, yeah. yeah, modem. So, um, this is the whole thing where Apple bought Intel's modem business. Um, when they were trying to compete, you know, use Intel against Qualcomm and ended up just paying in Qualcomm a lot of money for um, licensing and then the end goal there is to make their own chips and not involve Qualcomm in the future so so Quoke says no SE4 next year probably cancelled would have used the Apple modem that'll be a 2025 thing um, for the iPhone supposedly uh, and, and then separately Jeff Poo had said at least a report I think we talked about it on the show as well yeah yep. that, that, that's you know the Apple Watch Ultra in 2020 four so not not coming up this year but next fall um would be the first to use micro led mm-hmm. Am I getting it? okay yeah yeah I'm getting the you got it right. nailed yeah. yeah yeah not many micro um and that's the apple has been investigating it since 2017 or so um display type that has just uh, lots of benefits over the uh led and, and oled and, and and many LEDs. and if you remember way back in around that 2017 time frame there were reports that like apple had secret labs in san francisco where they were developing mm-hmm. these displays themselves and like growing them would, in a laboratory and stuff yeah even back then it was that they'll do them in the watch first because it's the smallest screen easiest to get out there so yep um yep um so now mark herman has a couple of reports as well one's about the modem I, I believe and when it will come out we'll see and then the other one's about not just the modem but also the wi-fi and bluetooth chip so, so talk about those yeah so the i think originally the plan for the first cellular modem was for it to come out this year is in 2023 iphones and mm-hmm. um, the apple modem but apple hit some development delays so it's been pushed and German says that um, he believes that Apple is ready to ship the first cellular modem of its design by the end of 2024. Um, it doesn't specify which device it will come in, which I think is a bit of an important point. So it doesn't necessarily mean that in 2024 there'll be an iPhone with a cellular modem. And it could come in, for instance, an iPad, right? Or um, a lower-risk product, or even the Apple Watch, um, which Mac. has cellular modems in it. Um, like that's a that's an important point where if you if you see other people report like no iPhone with Apple modem in 2024 that doesn't necessarily mean that the German story is inaccurate because there was and I, I couldn't find the source on this but I definitely read an article probably about a year ago where it was like the plan for Apple's modem division is to ship first in the iPad 
for whatever I, reason. I, re- so, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, it was like, and it makes some sense, right? Like the iPhone's your most important product. If that goes, if there's something <laughs> really wrong with the modems in that, you're affecting millions and millions of sales where one iPad model is getting, you know, at max a million sales probably. So you start with your lower risk products and you start with your lower volume products as well. And then you can iron out the kinks and then move on. So, and I felt that made like perfect sense. So maybe in 2024, there'll be like a, iPad Pro update that happens to use Apple's modems first. They can try out the cellular signal there. If they find some dead spots, they can either revise it or they can just pretend like there's no issue at all and just fix it for when they actually ship it in the iPhone. I wouldn't put it past them to do that. Um, it was kind of like when they had the in the you know in the old days of the iPhone where some iPhones came with Qualcomm modems and some iPhones came with Intel modems, and it'd be like in these areas the Intel modems worse, but Apple just never commented on it and they just pretend like there was there was no there was no difference. I could see that happening with the Apple situation. They could even ship some iPads with a Qualcomm modem and some iPads with an Apple modem, right? Like it doesn't necessarily mean that from 2024 immediately every apple device on the on the planet is now using a different modem that comes out of the factory they could they could do sh- um, shared shipments for a while they could even do it on the phone they could have like you know the iphone se has the new apple modem or whatever and then the other the other programs don't like there's there's many different ways they can chop and change this they're not going to change every single product overnight that would be taken on so much risk for no reason but obviously they're going to do it over time and german believes it's going to start uh, next year the more interesting part, because this hasn't really been reported on before, is German says that Apple is also working on its own custom in-house design Bluetooth and Wi-Fi chip to replace the current component from Broadcom. So Apple will be shipping a uh, a Apple device. Obviously, the iPhone's the end target, right? Because that's the biggest product, which will have an Apple-designed modem, an Apple-designed Bluetooth radio, and an Apple-designed Wi-Fi radio slash chip that controls it. And the end goal is to make a single chip that can do modem, cellular modem, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth all in one, which, as well as having cost savings in terms of Apple has to produce less components and pay royalties to less people, it will also have performance and battery life benefits, I'm sure, because you by having less heaven less parts unifying them together into a smaller package um similar to what we saw with apple silicon where they moved you know the cpu and the gpu and the memory all into one base they could also roll in the controllers for the cellular modem baseband and the and the wi-fi and the bluetooth and you probably get battery life benefits there more efficiency savings power efficiency all that stuff so there's there's both um financial and product benefits to doing this but obviously it's a process that's complicated it takes time um, and Apple's been investing billions for many years. But finally, we might actually see some fruits of that labor starting in 2024. And maybe the first generation parts are similar in performance and characteristics to the Qualcomm or the uh, Broadcom parts, you know, in terms of power efficiency. But over time, they can improve it. They have second generation, third generation. Like this is a long term plan for them, right? But eventually, you can imagine how an Apple designed chip that combines modems for Wi Fi, cellular, and Bluetooth all in one uh, can reap benefits for them. Yeah. It's- just like just like with Apple Silicon, right? They, mm-hmm. they technically were shipping Apple designed chips with the iPad 1, with the A4 chip. But really, the A4 chip was the um standard spec 
arm design with a very minor adjustment. Then the A5 rolls around. Again, the dual core arm design with a very minor adjustment. The A6, they started to diverge a bit more and they really started to go off on their own in terms of their own architecture design, starting with the A7 chip, uh, which was the, you remember the first 64-bit chip in a, in a smartphone? That mm-hmm. situation. Like 5S, like, yeah. 5A, iPhone 5S, exactly. So that from then on, that was when Apple really diverged and really started showing why they're investing like this. Um, and you can imagine a similar roadmap for the modem side as well. Yeah, it's sort of surprising that they haven't done this before. I mean, they obviously have tried for a while with just the, the cellular modem, but for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, it seems like that's maybe not as big of a challenge for Apple as, yeah. as the Yeah, I think the modem's modem the be. hardest one. The cellular modem's definitely the hardest part. Yeah, yeah. and maybe it's just that you've got the, maybe the talent from the modem group that you've acquired from Intel and the expertise you've learned will inform you for the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth chip. Um, another, another thing on kind of saw about this was that as Apple's forced to open up its ecosystem um, through regulation around the world uh, for uh, commerce and software, it's it's going even further down the, the path of, of, a, of a closed um, all Apple system in terms of hardware design, which is um, you know, harder to, harder to, to to make people do things differently then. Yeah. So, so that, that's that's wonderful yeah. i mean there's so many different facets right but yeah, uh, yeah. like you can always there's always direct customer benefit as well it's yes. not just a like financial maneuvering thing but it's mm-hmm. definitely like apple must love it all this all this transition to apple silicon it means paying less royalties to less people while also making products that are industry leading it's like yes. you know wins all around um and they're obviously going to then want to do have the same benefits for displays so like you said german says that starting in 2024 uh, the highest end apple watches i.e the apple watch ultra will ship with an apple designed uh uh, micro led display Uh, uh, you know apple making its own displays presumably the manufacturing will still be using contract partners but the design the you know the, the the ground up design of the screen will be apple rather than samsung which which does all which does all of uh, the OLED displays currently found in the iPhone lineup, and it yeah. is true that Apple has input on the Samsung panels, and they don't take them directly off the shelf. They tweak them. They have requirements. They say we want the anti-aliasing around the notch to be exactly like this. You know, not just do the normal thing. We want it right like this. So there's like there is a bit of like Apple designed magic in the samsung components today but it's like 99 percent of samsung screen. The idea is with these micro LED screens, these have come out of you know years of research and development in those in those um facilities in san francisco uh of apple designed micro led from the ground up and they will be shipping from some component manufacturer it doesn't name it but it could be samsung still they have Mm -hmm. display manufacturing it might also be you know someone like boe or somebody else but that's supposedly targeting for the highest end apple watches so i.e the apple watch ultra at the end of 2024 it will provide a uh, you know thinner display panel which could either give you more battery life inside the device or you can just have a thinner chassis and also it will look it will have good higher brightness um characteristics and german describes it as it looks like the pixels are painted on the glass so it's like when they did the lamination you know when they did um, screen lamination mm-hmm. it's like that but pushing it even further so yeah. um, cool. i'm looking forward to seeing it yeah because and it will when it becomes a standard you have to, you'll stop having the issue of like mini LED, micro LED, but no, no, it's just everything's micro LED now. Yeah, yeah, it's very messy right now in terms of what uses what. You can't even say the iPad Pro uses one display type. It depends on the size. And we've got obviously rumors that stuff like the iPad and the MacBook Pro will be switching to OLED as well next year before they make the jump to micro LED because it's really hard to make micro LEDs 
screens at all at the moment so they have to start with the small ones so they're going to work up right they're going to start with the apple screens first then they're going to do the iphone then they're going to do you know ipads and macs mm-hmm. cool nice and then the other um kind of detail on this is that longer term <laughs> uh, german says engineers are already working on touchscreen macs uh possibly coming first to the new MacBook pro in 2025 so, t- so, t- so fuzzily two years from two years from time this year uh and this this follows up with the boring 2023 um some predictions for next year or reporting for next year and then this is the two years out report uh the, <laughs> the macbook pro in 2025 could have a touchscreen for the first time um of course it's it's reported and presented as a, a major reversal because it was um you know, there was pressure on Apple to make a touchscreen MacBook Pro or a MacBook of some kind, iMac of some kind, because, uh, you know, touchscreens are popular from smartphones, from tablets, and why not bring that to the Mac? Steve Jobs, you know, would say it's an ergonomic nightmare. Um, I think in practice... Um, Craig Federighi and co. have also been asked about touchscreen Macs in the intervening years, and they've also rejected it, obviously. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, I think in, in reality, people have converted the iPad into a touchscreen laptop. So Just a bad one. Just a, a bad operating system. It's better <laughs> as a tablet than it is a laptop. Uh, so when, when, you've got, when you've got a iPad with a magic keyboard, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a laptop form factor. Mm, and is. Apple ships that. So... It's not a million miles away from an iPad form factor that's running macOS instead, right? Like a laptop with a touchscreen on it. Like I get everything that um, Federighi and co have said before, but I also see the market. Windows computers all have touchscreens these days. People expect it. People walk into the Apple store, they touch the iPhone screen, they touch the iPad screen, they expect they can touch the Mac screens as well. When it doesn't work, they're like, oh, this is like weird and broken and it's not about like making the entire mac experience rely on a touchscreen it's just if you want a touchscreen go for it and maybe there's some like what uh, i have you know i see people with windows laptops in my family they mostly just use the trackpad and the keyboard on their touchscreen enabled laptop but sometimes they just like reach their hand up and they scroll the web page with their finger yeah and or they like move a window around, or I know some of the Windows laptops they can you can like fold them back on themselves and make them like tablet style. I don't know if Apple's planning on doing that kind of thing, but that's another you know avenue to have a like a two in one situation. That's in the twenty thirties. Hold on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I think adding a touchscreen to a laptop without any of the folding back yoga stuff, right? It has a little bit of benefit, and people like it. And so I don't think it's crazy or ridiculous or going against, you know, the the core design principles of the company. I, I just think of the quote when, like, the Samsung trial was was around and, you know, Apple was still shipping three-and-a-half-inch iPhones. Uh, it was like the, 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 the slide deck that was like, consumers want what we don't have. Mm-hmm. And what they meant by that was bigger screen iPhones, right? Bigger screen smartphones. And Apple, for the longest time, said that nobody would want bigger phones. They were stupid. They were pointless. Like, they don't fit in your hand properly. They released that, you know, ad around the iPhone 5 (laughs) with the thumbs, right? It's like, your thumb goes from here to here. But then the very next year, or the very, sorry, two years later, they're shipping the iPhone 6. And what do you know? They were were massive successes. The best iPhone sales Apple's ever done. So, um, especially as we're kind of coming out of the kind of pandemic boost of laptop sales and notebook sales, Adding a touchscreen to the to the Mac, I, I, it's it's fine. Like I don't think they have to change 
the in any of the operating system to make it quote touch compatible well, you know, if they, you just have it there yeah. for like dragging windows around and swiping up and down the screen you know maybe if you're watching if you're if you're browsing your photo library you just flick with your finger you can pinch and zoom if you want to like i don't think they have to make all the toolbar buttons really big all of a sudden or you know the window close button huge the cursor's still there maybe if you wanted to be super crazy you could like click a button and change to like an iPad at layout mode if you wanted to be super sophisticated about it. But I don't think you even necessarily have to do that to add a bit more, um, a bit round out the feature set of the of the laptop, let's say. Yeah, you, you can literally run touchscreen apps on your Mac now from the iPad. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's just clunkier to use the mouse that, uh, for those. But that's It's the same with Celia, right? Like you ask Apple executives today, they tell you there's no rip, there's no point to have Celia on a laptop. It's Same just, with SD you, card slot. Tell you before <laughs> SD card slot, yeah. But it's, I mean, you can't blame a company for saying that something's stupid when they don't currently offer it. It doesn't necessarily mean they're never going to do it. Um, yeah. And they obviously didn't see touchscreen as a priority, although they'd have them shipping in laptops today and they don't. But as you add more and more features to a product, at some point it's like those features that were less a priority are now making their way up to the top of the list. And I don't think there's anything about a touchscreen inherently that makes a laptop worse. It can either be well, no improvement or make it a bit better. I, that's something I'm, I'm thinking about too. Maybe micro-LED is a factor here because come 2025... Uh, you could be looking at micro LED displays and what do we know about those that they can be thinner um, touchscreens tend to be thicker than what you see on a MacBook lid for example those yeah. are very thin screens um, so if those were touched now they might be thicker than they want them to be but if they use micro LED which are thinner then maybe they could have a pretty similar depth there without compromising in a big way uh, so, so I think that could be a factor well, I, I also wonder though um Face ID before touch before touchscreens really or touchscreens before Face ID you know um, I guess we're I guess we're doing that you know that seems to be the case but um, yeah if you've never used touchscreen laptops then which is pretty much my case then you you don't see the benefit you don't care it doesn't affect you because you've never used it if you use a Windows laptop with touchscreen then you're probably like oh finally it's going to come to the Mac as well um, and then I think if you're new to all of these things you know like you mentioned coming from a touchscreen phone or tablet you just expect it to be touchscreen and that's just going to deepen more and more with each new generation that comes to use technology so sure yeah and like you can maybe imagine apple pencil support in the future or you know stuff like that they they marketed the freeform app and you know what that really benefit from touch capability on the on the laptop as well you could draw on the Um, mac with with freeform for the first time yeah yeah, (laughs) that'd be the debut feature of it yeah like i i I'm not personally chomping at the bit for the MacBook Pro to have a touchscreen on it. Like, I'm not like, oh, this is what the laptop really needs. I would prefer something like Face ID, you know, something like that. Um, but I don't think a touchscreen is a negative. It can only be a positive. Yeah, Sailor and and, and Face ID first for me. But if they're going to, you know, I mean, I guess it will make the thing more expensive, <laughs> probably. Or at least, in, you know, it'll be what keeps the cost up at the time. Uh, and then, it, you know, this, this says MacBook Pro in 2025 as possibly the first debut. Uh, more differentiation between it and the MacBook Air, I, I, I suppose. So. To begin with, at least. Finally, this week, we are sponsored by Pillow. More and more studies are showing that getting a good night's sleep improves your health and well-being in more ways than you can imagine. Pillow is an all-in-one sleep tracking app to help you be more aware of your sleep patterns and discover what might be affecting your sleep quality. 
Pillow tracks and analyzes your sleep automatically, and you can check in with a full report of your sleep the very next morning. If you have an Apple Watch, tracking your sleep is as easy as wearing it to bed. If you don't, you can do it through the iPhone or iPad app. Just tap a button to start your sleep session. You can even record sounds of the night like sleep talking, apnea, or other noises that might be affecting how you sleep. And use the Pillow app to check trends, get personalized insights, and compare your sleep metrics with your weight, steps, caffeine consumption, and more. And use smart alarms to get woken up at the most optimal time, aiming to wake you up when you are in a stage of lightest sleep. And crucially, Pillow is privacy-minded. All of your sleep and audio data is encrypted and stored on your device. And when you're syncing to iCloud, it's using end-to-end encryption. Pillow is free to download from the App Store with a set of features that you can use for free every day. And you can try Pillow's premium features with a seven-day free trial. Just visit pillow.app to get started. That's pillow.app to get started. Thanks to Pillow for sponsoring the show. All right, uh, some services talk now. This is uh, first because Peter Stern leaving Apple. He's the vice president of services under Eddie Q. Uh, and, and it's what, what do you think, Mayo? Did he choose to leave or fired or agreed to leave? I have to this? assume that you chose to leave because he was in prime placement to be like he was the Eddie Q apparent. He was going to take over. I was like, who, I don't think anybody else could. He was in perfect position to take the job. He'd run the services division for the last, I think, since 2015, i.e., through the entire years of growth. Right? They've, yeah. The services division is responsible for most of the growth in Apple's revenue, um, in 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 Apple's revenue segments for many many years. Every single year, it's delivered 20 percent plus revenue growth. And who's at the top of that chain? Peter Stern. He's also kicked off the Apple One initiative. He was supposedly the big driver of that bundle. And to all intents and purposes, I think the bundle's gone very well. Um, He's been running Apple TV business side. Seems to be going okay. Like, I don't think there's much you can pin on him as being bad. Like, obviously, people don't like the advertising stuff, right? But in in terms of Apple inside the company, uh, I think Stern... Either maybe like he either liked it or he got along with it, and it was under his division. So it's not like he was. If 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 Stern wanted to quit over advertising, I feel like he would have quit last year or the year before. You know, like not right now. Um, and I don't think there's any trigger factor as to why someone would want him pushed out. Like when NDQ came up for retirement, which I've been expecting to happen in the next few years or so. Like Q's been with the company for a long time. And he's getting older and we've seen other people, you know, leave of similar stature not too long ago. And Q's kind of the last one standing apart from Cook himself. And we know Cook's going to retire in the next five to ten years as well. So it kind of felt like Q was, you know, starting to get on his way out. And the person that was right next in line is literally Peter Stern with a stellar track record on his books inside and outside the company. People like him. He's gotten well. He's, he's struck deals. There's reports that like... When the News Plus um, service was being um, was was up and coming, and they had to get deals with the newspapers and the publishers, like Stern's personality and charisma, like convinced a lot of people to join in, even when a lot of the publishers were skeptical about his success. Like, I think Stern's been great, and I've had the opportunity to talk to him a couple of times over the years, and he's always been impressive to me. So, I, I like I can only see it as terms of him wanting to depart the company. I don't think he would have been forced mm-hmm. out. Right. And then the official gonna... reason why he left is he's exiting Apple to spend more time on the East Coast, which sounds kind of like 
retirement kind of situation or just like early retirement having fun not wanting to work for a while that's that's the official line okay uh, is he going to work at google and manage the youtube tv nfl well that is the, <laughs> always the proof in the pudding of the because you know if if he had been um if he had been kicked out not of his not of his will the the statement probably would also say that he's exiting to spend more time on the east coast because those euphemisms are just what happen at the high levels of companies but the truth the proof is when you see what they actually do right so if he right. turns up at google or some other company in the next 12 months or so you can be like well maybe he left apple on bad terms um uh, but at least right now it doesn't seem like that's happened and mm-hmm. you can maybe speculate that like the failure to secure the sunday ticket deal was like but stern wasn't in charge of that if anything he was in charge of that like right. and yeah. I th- and i think they could have i think they could have secured the sunday ticket deal if they had been in line with the general um the general scope of what they expected the rules to be around this deal, like the fact that they walked away over the fact that they couldn't get rights to the augmented reality headset, that doesn't fall on Stern's shoulders. It's just that's it's probably just a cook decision. Is like like Q Stern negotiate, but it's Cook's terms that you know they they go to the boss. They say no, he wants this stuff, or you know, um, but yeah, I, I like it's not just, being frustrating. Even if it's shared responsibility, right, amongst the group, yeah, it's not like because you didn't get the deal. It's not like a necess- It's not a negative, no. right? It's like. It's not. This is no reason to kick you out. Like you, you, yeah. you leave because of long term um, disalignment with the future. So I think one more promising maybe reason is that Stern foresaw the oncoming regulation problems. You know, yeah. uh, all the stuff they're having to do: alternative app stores, side loading, app store changes, like that is a lot of gump that you might not want to deal with. And you're, you know, you're an executive <laughs> who's been at Apple for seven or eight years. You've done really well. You've got loads of stock options. You're rich as anything and you're like now i'm going to go through a period where the the direction of the company is going to be somewhat dictated by external forces that i don't agree with like let's say stern thought that the current policy of the app store is perfect for instance uh if a government's going to come and say well actually you've got to change it in this this in this way people don't like that and so maybe that's the reason he was like i, like, I just don't want to deal with this someone else can do it well i'm gonna leave mm. um so mm. that's not like necessarily leaving on bad terms it's just that's the reason why like stern leave on his own accord you know like that would be mm. one possibility i don't have any truth to back that up at all but that's i kind of feel like the tone i don't mm. i don't think there's been anything to suggest that he was like kicked out of the company for bad behavior or like doing something bad or a disagreement like they I, up until literally he decided to um, leave uh, with the announcement of this memo. Stern and Q have been like together working on MLS stuff. They've been together working on all sorts of stuff. Like there's been no indication to me that um, he was going out. If anything, his increasing presence had suggested to me that he was going to be taking over. But that obviously hasn't right. happened. Yeah. So and interesting, interesting departure at the beginning of the, the new year. So uh, and the, the next day you've. you've- got the sort of annual services year in review press release by apple but this year it's been presented to be a, a letter written by ADQ about services <laughs> yeah that, this was a bit random so mm. like you say for the last i think three or four years around the first week of january apple releases a like puff piece pr which is like celebrating the last year of entertainment services from tv plus to music to podcasts um and this year they had another one right on schedule january 10th but what was kind of weird is the subtitle said apple's eddie q reflects on the year in services (laughs) and the intro was like a 
open letter kind of style of like written by Eddie Q and then it continued with like the general gumph below. So the content of this press release was like identical to what they've done the last few years um, and I was expecting it to come out and it sure did. Uh, but the bit that was kind of unusual was just slapped at the top was like a personal letter from Eddie Q basically saying how much he loves entertainment. He celebrated his 34th anniversary at Apple and quote, I've never been more excited about what's ahead. So maybe you can imply that he was writing this out as like a, well, Stern's going, but I'm not going anywhere kind of situation. I don't know. But like, why would Q care enough to write that in a public press release? It just doesn't yeah. seem important. Yeah, uh, so it was just a very weird situation where it's like, here's our standard press release, but you know what? Eddie Q's like, I want to have a little message at the front <laughs> maybe, just to maybe, say how much we love it. Maybe it is uh, PR. It's like, I mean, it was the day before the news broke, I guess, and it's just, you know, externally facing, nothing to see here. You know, things are... Yeah, possibly. <laughs> it was well. a bit random. Yeah. They, like, Eddie Q's... Uh, it just felt like they. it was unnecessary. Like... Mm-hmm. If they if they didn't have that random bit in the front of this press release, I don't think anyone would be saying, "Well, Apple Service Division is crumbling at its feet." Do you know what I mean? Like it was just like they they. In fact, by re- by by releasing that, it made you think message, about it. Instead. It made it more suspicious. Yeah, like what's going wrong? <laughs> like, if, but, but if they just treat you like any other executive departure, i.e., no response at all, yeah. it would have just gone flown over more. I feel like I'm blown over, but yeah. this kind of like reignited speculation, even if it was like ultimately unfounded. So, and then, the rest of this week has been MLS um, like press tour week as they ramp up to launch the season pass thing next month. Mm-hmm. And now Eddie Q's everywhere. He's like every single photo they've got with um, the head of um, the MLS guy. They've got Eddie Q in it, like holding a football or whatnot. So he's like <laughs> making the rounds. Yeah, it wasn't a letter like um, thoughts on Flash from Steve Jobs or even the Apple Maps apology by Tim Cook. You know, it wasn't like that. Uh, <laughs> the letter was basically like a slightly shorter summary of the press release. Just yeah. like, we're they, doing great. You know, Apple TV Plus won an Oscar last year. Wasn't that amazing? And believe me, we've got much more to come. <laughs> yeah. We love it at Apple. Services are great. Like. And then they had a full press release of everything he summarized, but with a bit more detail involved. The services live on. Yeah, it was a very kind of random statement, I thought, um, and didn't quite understand the point of it, but it was just interesting. Five gigabytes of React Hull lives on. (laughs) This is one of those things where, like, in three years' time, if there is some, like, fundamental issue that Stern left, then we'll, like, know about it and, like, be able to point back to it and be like, oh, yeah, Mm. this was kind of bad or, you know, wonky or stuff was changing. Um, but in the moment, you just can't really know. But there's nothing to suggest foul play. Although, not foul play, you know what I mean. Like something to suggest a, a negative reason here. It's just mm-hmm. the churn of people. And then lastly, there's a new change to Apple Maps and, and Apple Business Connect. I'm not super specific on the details here. Hopefully hopefully you can explain it. Um, yeah. It, it just seems like Apple Maps is, is getting better about doing what Google Maps does for businesses. Yeah, basically. So, you know, when you click on a, a point of interest in Apple Maps and it comes up with a little card and it has information on it and you can click on like a restaurant and it normally has like opening hours and maybe like a link or, you know, phone number. Well, it's basically giving uh, right now that's all sourced um, from part from like databases, essentially. Uh, and there wasn't really a way for an individual business to like edit it. Whereas if you go to like Google Maps, 
a business can kind of claim a location and edit it completely and they can put their own fields in there they can add custom integrations they can do all sorts of stuff it's basically now apple business connect is that but for apple maps so for free a business can claim a location they can add a a special logo to the top they can add a poster image they can add uh, opening times they can add a link to book so if you're a restaurant you can have a direct booking link or an order website if you're a restaurant you know that takes you straight to a link to order stuff um you can have an integration with um messages for uh, you know uh, iMessage for business so like you can start a support chat with someone right there and then you can uh highlight products you can show more photo galleries like all this kind of stuff you can choose to show alongside your businesses i believe um walmart is available now so if you look on the apple maps app for walmart and you click on it you can see some detailed integration in the card there a richer more in, in, in informative and useful experience so it's a nice feature and it's nice that now a business any business can just go on a website sign up and register and claim their locations and deploy this around the country um and that brings that should bring the quality of looking at businesses in apple maps closer to google maps because before businesses could do this kind of thing in google maps and you just couldn't do it at all in apple maps so unless like the local partner like yelp or whatever had already provided information to apple uh, it would just come up as a blank spot but now an individual business can very easily update it and show it and there's no cost involved or anything so mm. big thumbs up there and naturally why would apple have a reason to do this right now well it blends into the rumors that there's going to be you know search ads for apple maps coming and a business was more inclined to get sponsorship inside apple maps if they know the button if they know what card shows that when the ads clicked on will be richer and have direct links to products in their business and um a higher conversion rate like with the addition of a big booking or order button at the top of the at the top of the card so this feels like a natural progression where obviously it just makes the using the app better in terms of finding places nearby um but it also probably sets them up for launching some sort of like sponsored ad program later in the year because then they can say you know that really nice card that you filled out and made it super rich and detailed and informative well now you can pay to get that in front of people and it basically serves as like a you know an ad placeholder so mm-hmm. it's, it's a two-pronged attack but if you accept the fact that they were going to add ads to maps anyway it's just a bonus in terms <laughs> of day-to-day improvement in terms of what you can actually do inside of the maps app and how much detail there is for businesses that are shown there yeah, and Peter Sharon wouldn't stand for it. Now they're hiring a an ad VP for services, including sports and everything. So that's where we are. <laughs> yes, yeah, Peter's done left because they decided to make point of interest more detailed in their maps app. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm done. That's, he, that's the that's the final straw. He left over the botched search ads rollout. And- <laughs> <laughs> See All that right. that would yeah. maybe have that maybe one of those like wildfire rumors that had more weight sure. if. Stern was directly in charge of ads, and like as we know, yeah. ads are under Todd Teresi. Okay. So if Todd Teresi had been kicked out, that's okay. You know, I see. Yeah, somewhat proximate to the ads debacle with the, with the App Store ads, but Stern wasn't really the per- that the person on the chopping block for that. Yeah. All right, that is the Happy Hour podcast for this week. If you enjoyed the show, please uh, follow us in your favorite podcast app. You can also subscribe in Apple Podcast for $5 a month or $50 per year for the ad-free version that helps support us directly. We thank everyone who supports our sponsors as well. If you have any feedback, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at ApolloZach. It's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. Benjamin, you're on Twitter at... BZMAI. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye bye.